Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news, trends, and hottest topics that focus on advances in cybersecurity and cyber industry economics. Our expert yet down-to-earth hosts make cybersecurity straightforward. They ask the tough questions and make this challenging topic something that everyone can understand. Our candid approach lets guests open up on topics we would all like to see addressed. You can find us on the web at newcyberfrontier.com. That's www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join today's host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On today, Alexander Hubert, who is the Director of Cybersecurity Division, 2nd Theater Signal Brigade, and that's in Germany. Joining us from Germany today, welcome, Alex, how are you doing? Thanks, Chris, doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Definitely love to have it. And uh, for our listeners over in the EU and Africa, that's the areas that you service. We'll talk about that. But give us your background, things you're allowed to talk about, about uh, where you're at, what you're doing, and uh, your missions and stuff. Sure. I grew up in the Air Force, uh, spent 20 years in the Air Force, and I was actually an Air Force weatherman. And uh, at the 16-year point, uh, landed at Grafenmeer, Germany. And... Uh, we had some systems that were considered weapon systems, and therefore the Army didn't want to take care of them. So uh, I had to become self-sufficient, and I got really interested in the field of cybersecurity. Uh, I got my degrees done and my certifications and such, and started managing these systems, got really excited about it. Uh, in those four years that I was at GRAF, uh, the 69th Signal Battalion, which was at GRAF, uh, noticed what I was doing, and, uh, and asked me to join them. So I retired from the Air Force and joined the 69th Signal Battalion, which uh, ironically was the 2nd Theater Signal Brigade uh, back in uh, 2004. And so uh, I had several jobs uh, since then, since 2004. And uh, my last job was a Chief Information Security Officer uh, in the Pentagon for the uh, A3 Weather Directorate. Uh, from there, I came over to Wiesbaden, Germany, and uh, assumed the duties of the director of the cybersecurity division. So um, we're responsible for cybersecurity for Europe and Africa on the tactical and strategic edge. And uh, we have some play in the nuclear command control and communication systems in this uh, AOR. Uh, we primarily work with um, risk management framework and cybersecurity framework uh, to secure our infrastructure, and then we do continuous monitoring. We are the cog, the center of gravity for cybersecurity for this theater, and uh, we service uh, four strategic signal battalions, one expeditionary signal battalion, and multiple United States Army and Europe tenant units operating uh, in this theater. Interesting. So um, with all that the military around there, how much do you connect and integrate with non-military operations? Roger. So uh, we do integrate with um, through industry uh, when we have uh, network modernization efforts uh, where industry comes in and, uh, and showcases uh, their innovations. And uh, we look at what we can use uh, on our uh, network. Um, on the other uh, side of that is NATO. 
Uh, we do a lot of work with NATO. Uh, one of our strategic signal battalions is in Belgium and the Netherlands, and we have another one in Italy. So they, we are very involved with uh, NATO. In fact, uh, we have NATO commanders even on, on our own post. Uh, so we integrate uh, heavily with NATO. We have uh, mission-funded sites to the east of Germany. Um, and so we integrate with uh, other countries as well, such as uh, Poland and more. Interesting. Um, and across multiple services, or is it mostly just Army that I hear? Right on. So we do um, we do coordinate and collaborate with other service components. So we have Air Force, Marines, uh, Navy uh, here. Uh, we each one of those service components has their own cybersecurity workforce. Mm -hmm. So uh, although we have different um, centers of gravity, so to speak, uh, Army has its own, which is us. Um, so we coordinate and collaborate because the, we are on the DOD information network. Uh, so we're responsible for the DOD, uh, the Army portion of the DOD information network, whereas uh, the Air Force is responsible for their portion of that, that network, which would be like US and AFWML. Mm -hmm. And other service components then uh, uh, protect and defend their own portions of the network. Uh, we do share information and we do collaborate. Uh, there are plenty of exercises. I'll give you a perfect example. We went to uh, Las Vegas in Nellis and uh, conducted a joint exercise with the Air Force, which required um, courts, protocols, and services management type of work so that uh, Air Force firewalls and Army firewalls uh, would be able to work together to make the mission work. So we do a lot of that here, too. All right. Well, let's take a break here from our sponsor. We'll be right back in a minute to we'll talk more to Alex. Cyber Resilience Institute helps build strong cyber communities designed to prevent members from attack. Like building a neighborhood watch, it takes coordination and a sharing community to protect our identities and valuables in the virtual world. Typically, we hear that organizations know they need to do something to protect their cyber assets, but don't know where to begin. Let Cyber Resilience Institute help your community create an action plan. Cyber Resilience Institute will build your community or business marketplace so that it is designed to support a collective cyber defense. Contact them for more information at cyberresilienceinstitute.org. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier on today with Alexander Hubert, the Director of Cybersecurity Division 2, Theater Signal Brigade in Germany, but uh, covering all the all of Europe and Africa. So, Alex, um, we don't get very many times uh, people on representing or able to talk too much about military, air force, worldwide operations or whatever in cyber. But uh, a lot of times, maybe younger people are interested, hey, I might want to do that. Um, or people looking at, you might need help and, and be reaching out as to, we need this type of uh, help. What types of uh, features, what can you talk about are your key functions that you're allowed to, to, to kind of describe what you do over there? Sure. Uh, on a military perspective, we provide cybersecurity consultation services for all Army in Europe and uh, Africa. Uh, so customers will come to us and ask these cybersecurity questions. Some examples are uh, wireless 
uh, networks. So wireless networks require a special attention and uh, special cybersecurity services. Um, we are uh, exploring right now something called LiFi. Uh, LiFi is able to implement wireless over the optical waves. And so we're looking at uh, NSA approvals, uh, commercial solutions for classified through the NSA. And we're also looking at the uh, cryptology, uh, the cryptological algorithms that we can implement on these um, wireless access points to be able to, to tunnel this, uh, the, the secret information. But of course, uh, we have to get through the NSA approval process first. But these are the type of projects that would come through my office. Another one would be uh, hardened carrier. So um, there has to be a way to uh, check whether fiber optic cables are disturbed even when they're underground. So in order to do that, we have to have some type of alarming system on this, uh, this fiber. So uh, we also look at uh, these types of projects to implement that type of alarming on the fiber optic uh, into a central reporting and reactionary uh, office. We do an inspect and assess. So uh, we, as stated previously, we're heavily involved with the risk management framework. Uh, less so with the cybersecurity framework, but the Department of the Army Inspector General uses the cybersecurity framework as their inspection tool. So uh, we'll be using that more, and industry uses that uh, a lot, the cybersecurity framework. Um, and then uh, the, 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 what is that called again? Um, the maturity model. Um, standby. Capability maturity model. Exactly right. So that is built off the, uh, the cybersecurity framework and uh, somewhat off the risk management framework as well. We manage the cybersecurity workforce, and that's really important because unlike industry, in the DOD, every, uh, everyone in the cybersecurity workforce at minimum has to have CompTIA Security Plus. So we ensure that uh, when our cybersecurity workforce comes to us, they know a little bit about cybersecurity, and they have a little bit of experience, and then we teach them. And these service members then grow into, you know, CASP-certified folks or CISSPs or CISMs, um, and we give them the training uh, to do that. Uh, we do vulnerability management, uh, normal vulnerability scanning, uh, patch scan, patch cycle. Uh, incident management, uh, you know, uh, unlike industry and the DOD, USB ports are for visual display only. Uh, uh, do not stick anything into a USB port because we will sense you and we will uh, reach out to you and see how, uh, what you did there. Um, you know, uh, I was listening to another one of your podcasts uh, where um, uh, a member was talking about um, repercussions, consequences, you know, what can you do to the workforce to make them adhere to standards? And uh, we have that process in the DOD. Uh, we uh, disable their accounts and we make them resign the acceptable use policy, for example, because how many users out there really read the acceptable use policy? So take, for example, the mobile acceptable use policy where it clearly states don't put a DOD iPhone into a DOD computer, yet, some of our workforce still chooses to do that. Of course, their accounts get disabled and there's uh, paperwork that gets involved in more training, but it's clearly in the AUP. So we have consequences in our AUP and it's so important uh, for the listeners that if we are going to force users to sign an AUP, 
let's have consequences in there and let them know what happens when they uh, uh, violate that AUP. What do you do for repeat offenders? So repeat offenders, um, well, the, high, the more you repeat the violation, the higher in rank that 25-2B, uh, that's what we call it, the process, has to go. So a, a single violator, I violated it once, uh, signature is at the uh, kernel, 06 or GS-15 level, and uh, multiple offenders go up to the general officer level. And sometimes general officers want you to report to them and, and tell them exactly why you connected an, an iPhone, government iPhone, to a government computer. Fair, fair enough. And is there ever uh, a non-judicial punishment on that? So the UCMJ is reserved for uh, active duty soldiers, and we do have an active soldier, soldier on our team. Um, but we're looking at um, negligence. Uh, when we look at UCMJ. So I'll give you an example. Uh, we had an active duty soldier who had his government laptop at home, teleworking through this COVID, and uh, his daughter plugged in her personal iPhone into his government computer. Now he knows to, to uh, teach his family not to do that. However, um, we can't very well throw the book at him because he wasn't next to his computer. His daughter uh, plugged in her iPhone. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, investigation that has to be done, and uh, we have to move forward with clear heads there, you know. Has there been any examples you can give on the other side where, hey, they've just been v violating this and, and we throw the book at them? Oh, absolutely. Um, there are people who, uh, who plug in their iPhone into government systems possibly because they just didn't want to go to work for the next 14 days. Uh, we had one user offline for three months, and if you think about the tax dollars involved with uh, a soldier who's offline for, ta for three months, uh, we have to take some action because it's our tax dollars that pay their salaries. Interesting, definitely. Um, so we're going to take a break here from our sponsors. When we come back, I want to you know, understand this workforce. So uh, we've been talking about soldiers, military personnel, but I imagine there's a, a balance of civilian and, and military. That and you're overseas. Do you bring people all from the United States? Do we have a, a makeup of people? What are you looking for? But uh, let's talk about that when we get back from listening to our sponsors. We'll be right back. Roger that. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, talking with Alexander Hubert, uh, the Director of Cybersecurity Division 2 Theater Signal Brigade in Germany uh, and the EU. Um, and we were talking about your workforce, and we were going through things that they do. Uh, uh, how do we keep them um, accountable for operations? But are your, is your workforce over there mostly comprised of Americans that are working uh, expatriates or whatever, or civilians? Do you hire local? How do you mix that up in the workforce when we're staffing in uh, EU and Africa? 
Right. So uh, we have a Manning document that we go by. So we're authorized X number of positions. And each one of those positions uh, is filled. And so the way we hire is we can hire local, uh, local expatriates, like you said. Um, but we can also reach out and hire, um, well, globally. Uh, so anybody coming from any government agency, any uh, American uh, civilian, um, and there's some, uh, some hiring practices. Uh, we even have local national uh, Germans, in my case here, uh, working for the Department of the Army. Um, we even do uh, background checks on these local nationals. Uh, so my workplace is comprised of Department of the Army civilians, uh, active duty soldiers, contractors. So we have uh, General Dynamics IT in the building in, on the same floor that I work. Uh, these are cleared contractors. And uh, of course, uh, around the post, we have local nationals working for the Army. Uh, and again, when we hire, we hire through USA Jobs. And uh, as long as the uh, applicant meets the criteria within USA Jobs, that could be uh, down to American citizen, uh, depending on what we're looking for, uh, anyone can apply. Uh, what happens is it goes through a computer check first, and then eventually we get uh, resumes. My last hire, I got 80 resumes. I chose eight of those resumes for uh, interviews. Uh, I chose a primary candidate and two alternates, and uh, my primary candidate uh, denied the offer, and I had to go with my first alternate. Um, but, uh, yeah, from all walks of life, um, now we, we have criteria for the cybersecurity um, division, um, top secret clearances, mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, CISSP at minimum uh, to work in our workspace or the equivalent of CISSP. So we have uh, very high requirements uh, to join uh, at least our workforce. Now, I also have cybersecurity divisions in Italy, Belgium, Netherlands, and uh, one more in Germany. And we oversee all of those cybersecurity divisions. And every one of those divisions are CISSPs, uh, top secret clearances, and uh, very uh, experienced and uh, educated and certified to do what they do there. Mm -hmm. And um, the really great thing about working for the DOD, and it differs a little bit from industry in the DOD, the DOD will pay for the training for you to have the cert certifications that you need, and then also pay for the certification uh, and the maintenance fees that come along with that. Now, I have some friends in industry that have better luck uh, they get a multitude of uh, certifications paid for. In the DOD, you get your one primary one. Um, but, you know, that brings us to another point about certifications. You know, the question that a lot of people ask is, how many certifications do you need to do this job? So I have a good friend who is a professor. He actually runs a cybersecurity department for the University of Maryland Global Campus, and he has at least 35 acronyms next to his name. So what does it take to get a job? Um, you need the certification that you need for your job. Everything else is extra credit. And so that's how we view things in the DOD. We've got four certifications, but the one I need in my job is CISSP, and that's the one that I'm going to maintain. Interesting. So, and there's always a debate of how much weight to put on certifications, because now you see people, like you said, with 10 of them after their name, right? And uh, when, you know, some people are good test takers. 
but they're not good practitioners. And sometimes the other way around, how much, I mean, weight, I mean, other than they have to have a certain credential, how much weight do you put on that person that has 20 of them versus somebody that just focuses on that one? That's a great question. And let me answer this this way. I'm a hiring official. When I look at your resume that you give to me on USA Jobs, the very first thing I look at is um, your top uh, certification, your top education piece, you know, whether you have an associate's, a bachelor's, master's, or PhD, what your security clearance is, and I want to get back to that one in a second, uh, and then I will continue on with the resume. What I'm looking for is the minimum certification that you need to do your job. Because at that point, then I can look at your resume and determine whether you've been in the jobs that build experience on top of that certification. And then if I put you in the um, interview stack, then the interview will let me know how much you really know. Um, I can give you a great example of that. I, uh, very unfortunate, I interviewed uh, a person that worked for me uh, in the past. This person knows what he's doing. I mean, I took this person out to assessments, on cybersecurity assessments, and he was just the cream of the crop. Yet, when we conducted the interview and I asked simple cybersecurity questions on the risk management framework, he couldn't answer them. So um, we have to understand, um, first, do you have the minimum certification? Do you have the experience that builds on the certification? And then if I choose to interview you, can you actually speak to that experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. I, and I always feel the same way. It's uh, people that seek after all kinds of certifications. Usually it's a different thought process than learning the work. So it's almost like a second uh, uh, when you see them, you, you, you have a second guess. Do they actually know how to do the job or do they just spend all the time testing? Absolutely, because in our work, we cannot spend a lot of time training someone. Uh, we just went through a command a cyber a security readiness inspection. Um, uh, we had to uh, uh, examine traditional security across all the posts uh, mm -hmm. under our purview, and there's really no time to train that um, and so what we want to do is we want to give someone minimal training, uh, on-the-job training when they hit the ground, but then we have to put them to work. We have way too much work over here. Um, you know, uh, this, this COVID thing we've been going through, uh, there's a lot of people sitting at home with not a lot to do, and uh, hobby hackers uh, get really experimental on the dark web and all the, the hacking tools that are actually out there and, and even being promoted on LinkedIn. So uh, we're always watching, we're always sensing, we're always reacting, um, but we're also looking at those zero days to uh, make sure that we, we patch them to keep the hobby hackers at least at bay. Interesting. So now you said you would come back to the security clearance and I wanted to kind of check on that one also. Um, right. Is there any way somebody that doesn't have a security clearance can start weaving their way into a position where you might help them achieve such a thing? Absolutely. So um, if you've had a security clearance in the past, but it has expired, put that on the resume way on top. State previous secret clearance expired this date, because at least we know that there was a security clearance at one point. If you currently have a security clearance, put that security clearance on the resume. 
if you don't have a security clearance, um, there are things that you can do. Uh, first of all, stay out of trouble. Uh, absolutely stay out of trouble. Um, and if you do get in trouble, when it comes time to do your national background check, there are two words or three that you just can't uh, forget. Do not lie. Always tell the truth. It doesn't matter what you've done. There's somebody else that's making a, a security clearance decision on your behalf. And if the investigator can collaborate everything you put on that paper, there's a chance that that security clearance will get adjudicated. When you lie, I've never had a felony. And then the investigators find a felony, it's game over. So um, for somebody to come into the GS world or the, the federal government world, uh, who needs a security clearance uh, and has never had a security clearance, stay out of trouble um, and do apply because even if you come to my workforce without a security clearance, there's something called an interim clearance while your investigation is ongoing. So yes, it is absolutely possible to come in without a security clearance. Yeah, and you do a lot of work helping young people get into cybersecurity industries. I know what you said, you work with Cyber Patriot. Tell us a little bit about that and how somebody maybe over in the EU could get involved. So that's the greatest part of this uh, talk today is uh, to talk about uh, Air Force Association, U.S. Cyber Patriot. Um, it is a, it's a national program. And when I say national, it is the United States, but uh, because we have the DOD education activity overseas, we're able to participate. Uh, so, um, it's basically a national youth cyber competition. It, uh, it sparks kids' interest in the uh, STEM principles, and um, it allows uh, the kids to, to uh, visualize what cybersecurity is all about. They are able to protect and defend a virtual network, uh, do packet captures, packet analysis. They're able to look at Wireshark and look at PCAP files and, and, uh, and learn all of that. Um, they are also afforded mentors and coaches, and we spend a lot of time teaching cybersecurity concepts. Um, my past class had uh, 20 kids that started and 14 kids that ended the program. Uh, next year, next school year, we have two cybersecurity uh, uh, cyber teams fielded with AFA, US Cyber Patriot, the Cyber Avengers and the Cyber Defenders. Uh, you can find us on Air Force Association U.S. Cyber Patriot website, uh, uh, U.S. Uh, Cyber Patriot Board. Um, look for Wiesbaden teams if you're listening from the EU and you'd like to be a coach or mentor. Uh, uh, the, your information will come directly to me and we can discuss it. But, uh, Chris, we've had some great uh, sponsorship too. Um, I'm unsure if I can name any of those here. Sure. Uh, okay, so... Uh, 327 Solutions uh, provided Network Plus books and Network Plus labs for the kids. Global Knowledge, who does our Army in Europe information uh, technology training, offered Security Plus books uh, to the kids. Um, in fact, every kid got a book. Um, we had uh, Cy Formations, who gave over uh, $5,000 worth of books and, uh, and such. The uh, AFSIA International gave a $1,000 STEM grant to us. And the Wiesbaden Spouses Club gave us a $1,000 STEM grant. We were able to buy Raspberry Pis, all the accessories for Raspberry Pis, 
Uh, we were able to buy more books. We were able to buy CompTIA Security Plus vouchers. And we just got a kid through the Security Plus program. He is now certified and hired by GDIT the day he stepped out of high school. That is the proof in the pudding. I did the same thing in Kaiserslautern at Kaiserslautern High School, where I took three kids through the program, um, and they all are all are CompTIA Security Plus certified. They're all professionals now in the IT field. This is how we get kids excited about STEM, about cybersecurity. And each of my classes has females as well. So they're, they're getting interested. Uh, we even have a hacking lab. Cisco provided us $20,000 worth of um, servers and routers and switches. And we were able to build a, a top lab. So really excited about this program. It's a way to give back. We, we, we've got our education. We've got our experience. We've got these jobs at the director level. It's at a certain point, it's time to give back. That time is for me starting in 2015, and I absolutely love it. And thanks for asking the question. Yeah, thank you for, for doing that. And uh, to all the people who brought something to the table, all the companies, all the sponsors, a big uh, thank you for all that. Um, one more thing that we had on our list to, to talk about is uh, your your needs to to engage with innovation and how you're bringing that into the the cyber operations and the army operations. Talk about what your needs are and who you would like to engage with in in that area. Absolutely. So uh, you know, cybersecurity is all about uh, securing the what I call the innovation of things and in Internet of Things in the cloud of everything. So innovation is a big piece. I mean, look at what's going on now. Gadgets are getting smaller. Widgets are getting uh, smarter. Um, take, for example, the, the COVID tracing app. You really have to understand how that works with the Bluetooth connecting to other phones without my knowledge and, and sharing information. Uh, there's no user interaction there. And we have to understand these things in order to understand how to uh, protect and defend all of this. Um, now that's one piece, uh, understanding the innovation that's out there. But it's uh, another piece is able to use that innovation to uh, reduce uh, redundancies, uh, fill gaps, and um, and and do that uh, on a, um, a network global network scale. And so there's so many innovations out there right now to where um, industry can operate faster and smarter than us. And we're still stuck in a place where we have, and this is comical, uh, nine endpoint software is running on my system. So when I type the word the, it shows up 10 seconds after I type the word the, because I have Tanium scanning, I have ACAS scanning, SCCM scanning, I have McAfee scanning, and I've got PowerShell scripts running. And uh, in industry, that would never be allowed. Uh, industry needs to work at a fast pace, and uh, we're just getting to that. We're making configuration changes to make our endpoints smarter so that we uh, can operate availability. So we want to learn more uh, about what industry is doing. So we have an exchange program with industry where we can send somebody to, for example, we just did that in my last job, to Amazon for two years. And so that person takes their DOD knowledge to Amazon and learns how industry operates in the cybersecurity space. That's one way we can improve our relationship. The other way is to actually listen. Um, so we have these tech expos twice a year. 
You can find them online. Uh, just uh, Google the keywords Ramstein Tech Expo, and you'll get to the website that uh, where all the uh, tech expos are uh, scheduled. And we have uh, vendors who come in, and they provide us uh, a show of their capability. But we're getting less and less vendors coming over for a few reasons. First, the acquisition process in the DOD is long and arduous. Um, so uh, we don't work at the speed of industry when it comes to acquisitions. Sure, we have the small business uh, uh, fast integration uh, that we can uh, we can give out you know X number of dollars for to a small business to come and bring an innovation to us. But all in all, um, in industry, DOD might be 10 or 20 percent of their total revenue. So unless industry can come in and and get those dollars, uh, they might be hesitant to come over and show us their innovations. I would say bring it. Uh, go to that website, uh, uh, see when the next expo is, is, even if it's virtual, and uh, show us your innovation. Show us what we're missing out there, and let us work the uh, uh, behind the curtain uh, to figure out how we can bring that innovation online. Uh, and as we talked about earlier, Chris, uh, CMMC is going to get huge. So uh, industry is not out there on their own uh, for their cybersecurity certification. They can, they can ask us questions. They can come to us and say, how can we move this ball forward? And we can certainly help give some tips. Awesome. Well, uh, it's great to talk to you today and great to hear um, all the ways that uh, the DOD is connecting and in the cybersecurity industry with uh, you know industry and military and workforce. So thanks a lot for joining today, Alex. And we always... Uh, Look forward to having people like yourself that can give us a, an actual snapshot of how things are happening, even in different parts of the world. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thanks. Sure. Bye. Thank you for listening to New Cyber Frontier. Remember to follow or like our post and circulate each new show to your networks. We keep you informed, bring you the latest news, explore new trends, and find the hottest topics. With New Cyber Frontier, you don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert, just get plugged in. We encourage you to get involved. Tell us what topics interest you and join our mailing lists. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. That's newcyberfrontier.com. Check out our previous interviews and please let us know if there are any topics that you would like to hear discussed. See you next time on New Cyber Frontier.